Listen, if you got your Bibles, I want you to grab them and let's go to first Psalm, the, the, the very first Psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. Uh, this is where we're going to be today. We're uh, returning to our series called Rhythms of Life, uh, discovering spiritual discipline, spiritual habits that we want to cultivate through the summer. Uh, for the purpose of spiritual growth. And so Psalm 1 is where we're going to be. If you're there, say, I'm there. Listen to what the Scripture says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this morning, we are in part two of a sermon that we started just before Father's Day called People of the word, looking at this first spiritual rhythm that we want to create in our life of being men and women of the word of God. In week one, we talked about 2 Timothy 3, and we saw that the Bible, this book, is no ordinary book, that we discovered that it is uh, inspired by God, which means God breathed, God exhaled. So when we open the word of God up, what we're seeing is, is the very words of God, that this is inspired, it's infallible, we can trust it, we believe it from Genesis to Revelation. All scripture is the exhaling of God's word to us. And then we said it's profitable, it's beneficial. We said that it teaches us what to believe, this doctrine. It uh, exposes our failures, it redirects our heart, and then it trains us in righteousness. In other words, it helps us to live like Jesus. And the byproduct we said on that first part of the sermon was, that the result is, is that it prepares us, equips us, fully furnishes our life so that we can experience the life that God has designed for us. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see the second part of this, and we're going to see why not just reading the Bible, but meditating on the scriptures and memorizing the Bible should be a regular rhythm for us. Look what he says here in, in the very first part of this verse he says, blessed is the man. Now, it's interesting because uh, not only is this the first phrase of, of the Psalm 1, but this is the first phrase of the entire book of Psalms. And so in essence, what you're getting at is, is that this is what the Word of God wants to produce in our life, that there is a, a blessed life, a happy life. The word blessed here is the Hebrew word ashray. The word ashray means to be happy. But it's not just like the superficial, circumstantial happiness that we're often accustomed to. This is a very deep, it's, it's, a, it's more like joy of, of inner contentment of the soul, knowing that God's favor rests on our life. The, the word is, is plural. In, in other words, the way it could be translated is, oh, the joys, or oh, the happinesses, or oh, the blisses of the person that he's going to describe. And really, this is what the entire book of Psalms wants to create in our life, a, a happy life, a life where there's deep contentment and there's true joy that's not circumstantial. And he's going to help us understand this morning where the source of that life is found. And we're going to see that it's found in the Scriptures, having a life in the Word. And this is what we're praying that God produces in our hearts, a life where we experience the fullness of the life that Jesus has for us, a sense of real joy and purpose and happiness. 
Now notice what he says here. He says, blessed is the man or happy is the man. And he first, he tells us where happiness or joy isn't found. Look what he says. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Now, I want you to notice the progression. He's really describing life to us. And, and you can see it in the progression. This man is is, is, is walking, right? He's, he's taking a path, and then he's standing, and then he's sitting. So you see this transition in his life. Though he goes from walking in the counsel of the wicked. You say, what does that mean? Well, the, the word counsel here is the idea of walking in the wisdom or the knowledge of the world. And he says wicked here. Some of your translations has the word ungodly. I think sometimes when we think of wicked, we think of like this dark, deep evil. But the idea here is <clears throat> the happy man, the blessed man, doesn't walk in the wisdom of the world. Any wisdom of the world that does not line up with the word of God is considered wicked or ungodly. So in essence, he's saying the happy person doesn't listen to the knowledge and the wisdom of the world to find joy, meaning, and happiness. And then he goes on to say, nor does he stand in the way of sinners. The idea of, of standing in the way of sinners means that you're behaving, you're acting, you're living like the world. So you move from listening to, being informed by, thinking about the, the ways of the world. Now you're behaving like the world. And then, he says, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. The word sits here is, um, in the Hebrew language, uh, sitting was important. Where you sat in a group really was an indicator of your identity. So in this particular culture, if you were rich, you sat with the rich people. If you were poor, you sat with the poor people. If you were old, you sat with the old people. If you were young, you sat with the young people. Where you sat was an indicator of who you identified with. It was a place of identity. And this is what the psalm writer is saying. He says, listen, when you are informed by and think about and ponder the counsel or the wisdom of the world, you begin to behave like the world, and eventually you're going to find your identity in the world. And he's saying, listen, the life of happiness and, and purpose and, and true joy in the inner part of who we are is not found in the ways of the world, the thinking of the world, the actions of the world, or having our identity informed by the world. It's, it's found somewhere else. And this is why we must guard our lives. Notice this progression. Listen, your thinking will inform your behavior, and your behavior will form your identity. In other words... What you think drives what you do. What you do will eventually become who you are. And this is where we get a false sense of identity. The, 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 the psalmist is saying this is not the path of joy and happiness. And listen, we must, in our day and culture, guard our hearts, guard our minds from this. I mean, we are bombarded, are we not, with just information, ways of the world just being pounded into our lives through social media and through other uh, means of communication. It's like we're constantly being told, what is the world telling us? They're telling us what to think, what to do, and who we are. And when you let the world determine what you believe and what you think and how you see the world, it will then become how you operate within the world. And listen, you will ultimately find your identity in the world, which will lead you actually away from true happiness and contentment. Because that's not found in the world, it's found in Jesus. And we must guard ourselves. This is why we need to be people of the word, because this is where this man finds his Joy and happiness. Look what he says, verse 2. So uh, verse 1, we see where it's not found. In verse 2, he shows us where we find it. Look what he says. He says, but 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. When he says the law of the Lord, it's a reference to the Scriptures. At this particular time, David writing this, the only Bible David would have had would have been the law. This is the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This would have been the, the, all the Scripture David would have had at this particular moment. And so David is in essence saying, but his delight is in the Word of God. And on the, the Word of God, he meditates day and night. In other words, the happy person, the blessed person, the person that finds true happiness and joy is a person whose mind is informed by Scripture, whose life is driven, behavior uh, is, is walking with, within the context of Scripture, and our identity is found in who Jesus says we are, not who the world says we are. And this is what he says. This is what needs to happen in our life, where we begin to think Biblically, we begin to act in obedience to God's word and we let the scriptures tell us who we are. And this is where we begin to see happiness and contentment in our lives. So the question you need to be asking is this, okay, so what does that look like? Like if being a person of the word whose mind is informed and whose life is directed by the, the word of God, if my identity is rooted in the, the word of God, what does this look like? What do I do? in order to walk as a person of the word. Well, there are two things that the psalmist says we should do, that we must do if we're going to be people of the word. Number one is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. We must first delight in the word. We must delight in the word. Look what he says here in verse, one, or verse two again. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Everybody say delight. This is important because notice he doesn't say, but his duty is to the law of the Lord or his duty is to the scriptures. He doesn't say here, man, that the word of God is, is drudgery to him, that he just has to, there's this checklist of, man, good Christians read the Bible. Therefore, uh, it's my duty to read the Bible. No, no, no. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He sees the scriptures as something that he desires, he delights, he Savors. The word delight here uh, means to savor. It means deep pleasure. So, like, it's, it's, there, there's a very intense type of delight here. Let me kind of explain to you like this. Um, how many of you have ever been, like, on vacation, and, and, you're, you're, you're maybe, and maybe you're not vacation, but you're just traveling somewhere, and you've heard about a certain restaurant, and everybody's telling you how amazing it is. And so you go to the restaurant and you, you, you sit down and they tell you what to order. And so you order the meal. And when you're, when you're eating this, you're just, your mind is blown. You're like, this is even better than they described it. Like, this is amazing. Like, I love every bite is amazing. And you, you get finished, you push away, and you're like, oh, it was so worth it. It was so, I don't care what they charged, it was so worth it. This was an unbelievable meal. Anybody had those experiences? All right, so... Oftentimes, if you're traveling, you, here's what it's going to be like. Yeah, it's amazing. This is so good. And then about an hour later, you're like, what's next? So you, you really enjoyed it. You delighted in it. But now you're looking for something else. But then there are those rare moments where you sit down at the table and you're at the restaurant and you order the meal and every bite, you're the same response. Oh, this is amazing. This is overwhelming. And this is so good. And when you finish the meal, even though you are full, you're going, I want some more of this. Can we come back tomorrow? That's a different type of delight. One says, this is amazing. What's next? The other one says, I can't get enough of it. When can I have it again? This is the type of delight that the psalmist is writing about here. He can't, he can't get enough of it. The other night we went to a, a dinner uh, at the Listenby's house, Zeke and, 
and Cynthia had us over because um, uh, we... We were introduced to Brazilian food, my, my oldest daughter and I was on, on the Amazon trip, then my wife went with her later on, and so we've kind of fallen in love with, with Brazilian food, and so Cynthia, being from Brazil, says, then we need to have some Brazilian food, so I was like, yes, we do, and so uh, we took our family over on Tuesday, and it was amazing, it was it was. It was unbelievable. And so we're finishing up the meal and we're talking about how good it is. We get in the car and we're heading home. And the topic of conversation the whole way home was how amazing the food was. And to the point of which it was kind of just like, you know, we, we, we don't know that we want to eat anything other than Brazilian food. So we're, we're talking, but my little Micah, like she couldn't get over it. So the conversation would end and all of a sudden she would go, mm, like, I, like, dad, I want more of, and she would say what part of the, the meal that she enjoyed the most. I want more of that. And then she said, do you think Cynthia can do this again tomorrow, at least once a week? I don't think that's too much to ask if she could just do this once a week. Like, like she was delighting in the meal with an intense delight. And this is what the psalmist is saying. But his delight he feasts on the word, and when he's feasting on the word, even though he is full, he's hungry. I want more. I can't get enough of it. And this is what God wants to create in our lives. This is what we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would create in our lives, this sense of longing, of finding satisfaction in the word of God to the point of which that though we are full, we still want more. This is what we need, to delight in the Scriptures. Listen to what the psalm writer says, Psalm 119, 103. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalm writer is saying, I can't get enough of the Word of God. So what creates this delight? I think sometimes we, we approach the Scriptures because we don't, we don't view it this way. We approach the scriptures as if this is the duty that i got to read rather than seeing it. It's a meal that I get to delight in. So what are some reasons that we should delight in the Word of God? I, I, really, this week, I wanted to give you like 10 of these, and I can't because we don't have time. So I'm going to give you a couple of reasons we find in the Psalms that we can delight in the Word of God. If you're taking notes, write some of these down. We're going to move quick, quickly through them, and I'm going to throw you some verses, and you can write this stuff down. A few reasons we can delight in the Word of God. The first, first of all is the Word of God protects my purity. The scriptures protect my purity. Look what he says in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? He's talking about holiness. And I love the fact that he says, how can a young man, why does he say this? Does it only apply to young men? No. He's, he's saying, how can a young man keep his way pure? Because in, in, in life we know that young men have more times than not unbridled passions. And so he's saying, he says, look, how can a person who's got unbridled passions walk in purity and holiness? Look what he says here. He says, by guarding it according to your word. And so here's what he does. Verse 10, so with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandment. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So that we delight in God's word because as men and women who have been made new in Jesus, who want holiness and purity to be a part of our life, to walk in godliness, we delight in God's word because God's word becomes a safeguard for our purity and our holiness. Here's the second one. It lights my path. 
Psalm 119, 105, he says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Notice what he's saying here. There's, there's moments in my life where it's dark and I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do and I'm in situations where, man, I just don't even know what the next step is. But God's word all of a sudden becomes the light to my feet. It, it takes the path and it lights it up so that I know where the next step is. Have you ever been through a season of darkness in life where you didn't know what to do? God's word you can delight in because God's word becomes the light source that enables you to know what the next step is. It gives you a direction of where to go. Here's another one. It gives me wisdom. The word of God gives me wisdom. Look what he says in Psalm 119.98. He says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever before me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. 100, listen to this. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. When he's talking about wisdom and understanding, let me just kind of give you a framework of what that means. Wisdom is the, the, he's talking about here is, is the ability to see the world as God designed it. To see life as God designed it. Understanding is the ability to know what to do with the wisdom you have. So wisdom and understanding is this idea of the, the word of God. He's delighting in it because the word of God makes me wise. It helps me see the life that God designed. And then understanding helps me to know how to appropriate that into my life so that I, I live and experience the full life that God designed for me. So we delight in this. But here's my favorite one. Here's the reason we delight. My, my favorite of all the ones I've given you is it reveals the goodness of God or it reveals God's goodness. Look what he says, Psalm 119, 68 says this. I love this. You are good and do good. The, the psalm writer is talking to God, and here's what he says. You are good, and because you are good, you do good. Anybody today believe that God is good? That God is good, and God does good. You know why God does good? Because he is good. And so the psalm writer is delighting in God's word because he goes, listen, God, you're good and you do good. And, and therefore, think of what he says, teach me your precepts. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your word. Why? Because God is good. He does good, which means his commands are good. And when I walk in his ways, I experience the God that is good. Let's, let's have a confession time, all right? I've got to confess first before I get you to confess that I doubted you today. I told the 8 o'clock service that I know that they can be honest in the room, but I'm not so sure about 9.30 and 11 o'clock. I hope you'll prove me wrong. Um, so let's just confess. How many of you would say that there are commands that you see in the Scripture that you don't particularly like? Raise your hand if that's you. All right, so thank you. So you're more honest than I thought you would be. I kind of set you up for that. Um, like seriously, like, like when I get to places in the Scripture where it says, Bless those who curse you? Really? Like, I would rather curse those who curse me. Am I just that too honest for you in the room? Like, love, love your enemy. What? Who? Why? I don't want to do that. There's nothing in me that wants to do that. But listen to this. If God is good, and he does good, by default, that means his commands are good. Even the commands that I don't like, because God is good, the command is good. And see, and here's what we discover when we get into the scriptures. We get to discover 
how good God really is and what this good God has for our lives so that we understand more deeply his goodness. You see, it's, it's understanding, and this is really the application of this. Understand this. Listen, we go to the word of God because we want to encounter the God of the word. The book is not the aim, but the God of the book is the aim. You see, so many of us, we look at those pages of Scripture and we disconnect it. Listen, you cannot separate God from his book because in his book is how you discover who he is. You cannot separate God and his word. And so I don't go to the Bible just to read words on a page. I go to the Bible because God is encountered and experienced and his goodness is known. And I have a deeper understanding of what he has for my life. And because he's good, I want to walk in the goodness and experience the goodness. Listen, we desire and delight in the word because we delight in God. We don't pursue the word in and of itself. It's about encountering, experiencing the good God of the word. I'll illustrate it like this. When my wife and I first started dating, uh, we, we had a long distance relationship. She lived in my hometown. I was at uh, college. And so this was um, before cell phones were common and uh, like talking long distance was very expensive. Um, and, uh, and so an email even was just used for the academic side of it. You really didn't email people as much, at least we didn't, it just uh, was used for school stuff. And so we, we did this thing, some of you probably have never heard of, it's called writing letters. And um, anybody remember those days? And you would sit down and you would write and then you would, you know, you'd hopefully you didn't do it in pen because if you misspelled something, you got to throw the thing away and start over again. And so you'd write letters and you would, in, in those letters for, for us, like there's a box in our attic and, those, and we have a lot of letters that were there that we wrote each other when we were in college. You want to have fun, go back and read those things because, man, we're idiots. Um, like the first letter she sent me when we first started dating, my last name is Connitz, K-A-U-N-I-T-Z, and we were just kind of new to the dating thing, and so uh, it was written to Todd Connitz, C-O-N-I-T-S. She just took a shot at it, and uh, not realizing that she better learn how to spell it because it's going to be her last name. Now, I knew it was going to be her last name. She didn't know it yet. And so, but when I, when I would get a letter from her, I would go to the mail room at ETBU, and I would... I would open it up. If there was a letter from her, it didn't matter what was happening after this, like everything changed in that moment, I would go right back to my dorm room and I would sit down and I would read and reread and think about and examine and read it again and read parts that I really like and I would think about the letter. It didn't matter what was happening in my world. Nothing mattered in that moment other than that letter. Why? Because in the letter, I just was not reading words on a page I was experiencing an encounter with the one who wrote the letter. And because of my love for her and care for her, nothing mattered more than experiencing her through the pages that she wrote. How crazy and wills off would it have been if Adrian would have called me after writing three or four letters and was like, hey, I haven't heard from you. I wanted to see if you got those letters that I wrote you. What if my response would have been like, I'm just not a reader. Could you imagine? I, I wouldn't be here. And she certainly wouldn't be here. Just not a reader. I would never say that to her. Because that would be an insult. Because the point of the letter was to know her. 
to understand who she was and what she felt about me and where our relationship was heading. So she was pouring herself out. So to insult her, to say, I'm not a reader, even if it was true, I'm not a reader, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to dive into it. Why? Because I love her so much, I want to encounter her on the pages. Listen, and this is why we should delight in the Word of God. Because when we delight in the Word of God, we are delighting in the God of the Word. And this is where we get to know Him and His goodness. This moves us out of this, this cold religious duty into the relationship that we've been designed for. So we meditate or we, we, we delight in the Word of God. Here's number two. Uh, we must meditate on the Word of God. So we don't just delight in it. We meditate on it. Look what he says in verse number one again. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he what? What's this word? All right, the 14 people who are awake, thank you. Let's say it, everybody together. And on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates. The word meditate here is, 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 is it's a practice that is not so common for us today in regards to God's Word. And I believe the absence of meditation is one of the reasons many of us don't experience the transforming power of God's Word in our life. Because we don't meditate. And this word meditation is not the idea of, um, uh, of kind of Middle Eastern religion, of disengagement of the mind to kind of get into a spirit world. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, it's the opposite. It's actually to engage the mind even deeper. Let me give you a definition of, of what this means to meditate here in the Hebrew language. It's, it's the idea of to mutter, to moan, to say under your breath. If you have kids, you understand this, right? Like, like my kids will say a lot of things under their breath. So I say to them, hey, I want you to clean your room. I want to clean my room. Cleaning my room is stupid. Who wants me to clean my room? I'm going to go clean my room. I, the whole time they're cleaning the room, like, I don't want to clean my room. They just want me to clean my room because if friends can come over, they can look like they, we, we clean our room all the time. But I don't clean my room all the time. And I cleaned it last week. I don't know why I got to clean it again. What's happening in that moment? They're meditating on my words. They're muttering it. They're saying it under their breath. Or they, they, they talk to oneself about it. Now, that's a negative application, but this is the idea. It, it is to experience and encounter the words so I was on a plane about 10 years ago, and uh, there was this guy that sat down next to me, and I recognized him immediately. He, he was on a very, uh, he was very popular at the time, on a TV analyst on a, on a very uh, well-known uh, news outlet. And so he sits down on the plane next to me, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get to know this dude. So I was going to wait for my opportunity. Well, he sits down on the airplane, and it was obvious in that moment that he had one thing on his mind. He brought this little bag with him. When he sat down, he opens it up, and there's this plate of food that he had gotten from, I guess, his favorite restaurant in the airport. And I'm, I'm not really you know, fond of airport food, but this guy, I, I, I kind of wanted to go order what he ordered afterwards because he sits down, and it was like I didn't want to interrupt him because it's like he was getting ready for an event. And this is no joke. He starts doing this. It starts kind of loosening himself up, pops his knuckles, rolls his sleeves up. He, he, he folds it open, gets his fork, and it's like he, he opens it and he goes, and he just breathes it in. And with every single bite, I heard out loud how good every bite was. This is so good. Mm -mm, they nailed on this. And he'd even take and look at the food and, and, and take a bite of it. And every bite was slow and deliberate. And he chewed it and savored it. And I'm like, this is gross. But he wasn't eating his food. He was experiencing. He was meditating. You say, that's kind of a weird illustration. Let me give you a gross illustration. So uh, the word mutter here, or the word meditate here, the word mutter, the idea, 
Um, in the Hebrew language, the imagery that would have come to mind, because it talks about muttering, to moan, to say it out loud, to, the imagery would have been that of a, of a farm animal regurgitating the cud to chew on it again, to digest it, to bring it up again, to chew on it some more, getting every nutrient out of it. And if you think about it, a cow just sitting there, mm, 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 and just swallow a little bit later. Here it goes again. It's like, oh, it was even better the second time and the third time, right? This is the, this is the image. Somebody like, I'm not even hungry for lunch anymore. You're welcome. This is what he says we should do with God's word. We meditate on it. We mutter. We, we bring it up. We chew on it. We savor it. We bring everything that God has for us in his word. We're saying it out loud and we're talking about it and we're praying through it and we're, we're concentrating on God. What is it you have for me? This is what it means. And many of us, listen, we need to stay in the word through meditation. So let me give you some help here. You say, what is meditation? If it's engaging the mind and chewing on it, and experiencing it like the guy in the, in the, on the airplane, what do I do? What does that look like? Let me give you a couple of things to write down, ways that you can meditate effectively on the Word. And this is not exhaustive. These are just some things that I think are helpful. So if you're taking notes, write this down. So you need to ask yourself some questions. You need to make some observations. Number one, ask the question, is this a command? Is God commanding me to do something here? Is there an expectation that he has for me? And if so, ask yourself, begin to pray, God, what does this look like in my life? So, for instance, if you're reading where he says, hey, you know, forgive those who have hurt you or wronged you, and you're saying, okay, that's a command that he's given. Well, God, is there anybody in my life right now that I haven't forgiven? Is there anybody in my life that I know are holding a bitterness against me and that's keeping them captive spiritually? Do I need to go and try to reconcile this? So begin to, as you're meditating, you're asking those questions. Here's another one. What is God revealing about himself? So when I'm, re I'm reading a story. Let's say I'm reading the story about God delivering his people. They're, 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 they're cornered by the enemy, and they don't know where to go, and they hit their knees and begin to pray, and all of a sudden God comes in and delivers. So I'm reading the story in the Old Testament, and I'm asking myself the question, God, what are you showing me about who you are in this moment? You're a God that delivers, that when we pray, you hear us, and that you're a God that's familiar with where we are in life. I mean, you start been thinking about this is who God is, and this is what he does in our life. Ask yourself the question, Where's Jesus in the passage? We're going to see in a few minutes that Jesus is everywhere. So when I'm thinking about Psalm 24, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who hasn't bowed his knees to an idol, I've got to look at that and I've got to go, he's not talking about me. Why? Because I don't have clean hands. I don't have a pure heart. I have bowed my knees to idols. So who can enter in the presence of the Lord? Jesus can. And because Jesus has a clean hands and pure heart and did not bow his knees to an idol, and I'm in Jesus, guess what? In Christ, I get to go into the presence of God. Where's Jesus in the passage? Meditate, think about it. Let me give you another one. Ask God if there's a promise that you're, he's making. Is there a promise that he's making in the text, in the story, in the passage? I don't mean a promise that you're trying to create for him. I mean like a legitimate promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then ask yourself the question, am I thankful for that promise? Take time to pray and thank God for the promise. Ask God to help you believe the promise. Ask God if there's any circumstances in your life where you're not walking in the promise. It's meditation. How can I walk in this truth? Ask yourself that question. God, you're, you're saying this in your word, and I don't know 
in my life? Is there areas of my life where this is not, I'm not being faithful to this? How do I obey this? Show me. And then you say, I don't know if I understand it. Well, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. One of the ways you can meditate is just by reading the verse and saying the verse in your mind and asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you, you inspired this and you live inside of me, so would you show me what this, this is for my life and where I go with this? So you're asking, you're, so this is the way we meditate. We're pondering, we're thinking, we're muttering, we're saying it under our breath, we're praying through it. And this is the last one, pray through it. Pray the verse into your life. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. How do I meditate in prayer through that? God, thank you that you're my shepherd. God, thank you that even when I'm resistant, you take me to lie down in, in pastures that are green, that you provide everything to the point in which, God, I'm sorry that I've been in want. I've been looking to the things of this world to satisfy me, but, God, you're a good shepherd, and you've given me everything I need in you. That even when life is out of control, there are still waters that you provide nourishment for me. So start praying through the scriptures, meditating it by praying it. So this is what we, want, we must do. But, but how do we do this? Like what does this look like throughout our day? Look what he says in verse 2. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. So is this cat walking around with a scroll all day, like trying not to bump into things because he's thinking about God's word and he's got it? No. How do you meditate on God's word day and night? By memorizing it. By knowing God's word. The metaphor of, of maybe uh, the animal digesting food and then bringing it back up in order to pull more nutrients out of it. This is what happens when we memorize the scriptures, when we own the scriptures, and it's, it's in our heart. Look what he says in Psalm, 10, uh, Psalm 119. Uh, verse number 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word, the phrase stored up, it literally means to treasure up, to value something and put it in a secure place. I have stored up. So think about it like this, storing up grain for the agricultural metaphor. In harvest season, they would obviously harvest the grain for the year, Right? So they wouldn't consume all the grain in one day. What would they do to the grain that they didn't consume that day? They stored it up. Why? Because winter's coming. And so they put it, they treasure it, and they put it in a safe place so that when it's needed, it's available. We need to treasure up, store up God's word in our hearts. Why? Because winter's coming. And so we are able to meditate and call those scriptures to memory and to think about and ponder and mutter and pray through and say under our breath those things that God has allowed us to tuck inside of us so that when God's word is needed in the moment, we can recall it and the Holy Spirit brings it to our mind. This is how we meditate day and night, by internalizing the scripture through memorization. I was driving here this morning, and I'll confess to you, uh, this is like the day of confession for me. I was listening to 90s on 9 on the way in. I just think it's the favor of the Lord that I had to grow up in the era of the greatest music ever. Um, and, uh, and so my kids get so frustrated with me, but they weren't with me. So, but there was a song that came on, and I promise you, listen, I have not heard this song since I was like 12 or 13 years old at the skating ring. I mean, it was, it was a group, but Perfect Gentleman. Anybody remember Perfect Gentleman? That ooh-la-la, the song. I, like, I'm sitting here, I, I promise you, I have not heard this song since I was like 12 or 13. I sing every word of it on the way to church this morning. And I'll be honest with you, I was so embarrassed not because of the song. I think the song is still great. But because here I am years later. 
And I can still tell you every word of that song. And here's the problem with that. So many of us can do that with our favorite movies and our favorite songs and our favorite lines. But can we recall the scriptures in this way? Store up so I can meditate on the word of God. This is what God has for us. You see, here's why we do this. The purpose of memorization is not information, but meditation. You don't, you don't memorize the Bible so you can outquote your friends and every time there's a question in life group, you can go like, oh, I got a verse for that. And you're just annoying in the group then. The point of memorization is meditation. It is having the word in your soul so that you can chew on it and ponder it. And then as it applies to your life, then you can impart it to others. So it's memorization for the purpose of meditation. And when you get that down, what happens is application. You're going to walk in it. Uh, one of my close friends and mentors, he's the guy that actually led my wife to Christ and discipled her. His name is Joey Dodson. He's a professor um, of theology. And here's what he says. He says this, the heart loves what the mind thinks about. And the will does what the heart loves. The heart loves what the mind thinks about. So if you want to know what you love, what do you think about? And what you think about, that's what you're attached to. And what you're attached to, that's what you're going to do. So what happens if God's word begins to consume our minds so it, we meditate, we think about it, we fall in love with the word of God, it's going to lead to behaving and acting in it. This is what we must pursue. So what's the outcome of this? Verse 3, look at this. What's the outcome? He, this is the happy man, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither and whatever he does prosper. So when we are men and women who delight in the word and meditate on the word, what does the word produce in our life? He says this metaphor. He says this person will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. Why is that important? That if a tree is by the streams of water, two things happen. The, re- the roots grow deep, and there is a constant supply of nourishment regardless of the circumstances around the tree. He is planted by a place of constant nourishment. So it doesn't matter if the drought comes or the hot summer sun beats it down or the cold winter nights. Why? He says its leaf does not wither. Why? Because it's planted by streams of water. So the circumstances around the tree does not dictate the fruitfulness of the tree. Why? Because the circumstances are existing around it. Listen, but it's, 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 it's location where its roots are, that's where its life is found. So many of us, we make the mistake of thinking, if my circumstances were different, my life would be more fruitful. If my marriage would be better, I would be more happy. If I had more money, I would be, have deeper happiness. If I had this, if I would be a better person. Listen, when your life is rooted in Jesus and, 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 and you are one who is living in the meditation, delighting in the word of Jesus, Jesus then gives you everything you need to sustain you regardless of what season you're in. That means your happiness and your joy and your fruitfulness is not predicated upon your circumstances, but rather your location of being rooted in Christ. This is a game changer for the way that we see our life. 
I love one, one, one guy came to my yard. I had a, a, some issues with my grass. It was turning a brown color. It was kind of a discoloring. And so I had a yard expert come out and and I said, hey, I want you to look at my yard. He walks out. He goes to the brown spot, and he, he immediately begins to get his knife out. doesn't look at the blade of the grass. He immediately begins to dig up the soil around it. And I'm like, what, what are you doing, man? The, the issue is the, the color. I need to figure out how to get the color to get back green again. He's, and here's what he said. He said, a discoloration on top tells me there's something wrong on the bottom. He says, the issue of discoloration on the blade of grass tells me that there's something wrong with the root of the grass. And he said, so I'm not going to treat the blade, I'm going to treat the root, because if I get the root fixed, the blade will take care of itself. The reason many of us have those seasons of drying up, of our leaves withering, and the discoloration is not because the circumstances are hard, it's because the root system is affected by us not abiding in the Word of God, in Jesus this metaphor he's using, you should be like a tree planted by streams of water that bring forth fruit in a season. What does that sound like to you? Let me remind you of what it sounds like. The very first week of our sermon series, we gave you the what before, or the why before the what, right? Why do we read the Bible? Because that's what good Christians do. No, no, no. We read the Bible because we want to abide in Christ. Why do we want to abide in Christ? Because Christ is a source of life. He says in John 15, like a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So if I abide in you and, and my word, or you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to be a fruitful person. These are Jesus' words. So listen, we don't just go to the Bible independently to find inspiration. Listen, we, we immerse ourselves in the delighting in and meditating on the word of God because this is what it looks like to abide in Christ to walk in fellowship with the vine. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell. What is the word of Christ? It's the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell, make its home richly in you. He is using another phrase to say the Bible. He calls the Bible the word of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the word. And I delight in Jesus and I meditate on his word and I, I do this because I get to experience him. Make no mistake, this book is all about Jesus. I mean, it's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, everything is pointing us to Jesus. He is the hero of the story. He is the leading character. He is on every page of, of, of every chapter of every book. Throughout the Bible, this is Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about himself and the scriptures. John chapter 5, verse 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying there's a way that some of you approach the Bible and you approach it with religion. And you look at the Bible thinking, if I can just do this, then I'll have life. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the point. The life of the Believer is not found in just the words of Scripture, but in the person of the words of Scripture. He says this. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you'll have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And he says this. He says, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And he says, you are going to the Scriptures because you think that if you can just do what the Bible says 
you'll have eternal life. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the point of the scriptures. The scriptures are not about you doing them. It's about you getting me. And when you have me, the doing will begin to take care of itself. Now you can read the Bible rightly because you're seeing it through the lens of the gospel. Jesus is on every page. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the breath of life that is breathed into the nostrils of Adam. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the fulfillment of the law. In Joshua, he is our mighty warrior. In Judges, he gives us victory over the enemy. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the reigning king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the mighty wall that protects us from our enemy. In Esther, he stands in the gap. In Job, he is the ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our song and the reason why we sing. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom and our purpose for life. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom and the faithful friend. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentation, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the resurrection of dead bones. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace and the ancient of days. In Hosea, he is a faithful husband. In Joel, he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit and fire. In Amos, he is the burden barrier. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is salvation to everyone who repents. In Micah, he is the God like no other. In Nahum, he is a jealous God. In Habakkuk, he is the Holy One. In Zephaniah, he is our Savior. In Haggai, he throws over the enemy. In Zechariah, he is the Lord of hosts and in Malachi he is the one with healing in his wings now that's just the Old Testament I want to give you the New Testament in Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he is the son of God, feeling what we feel. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock. In 2 Corinthians, he is the one who triumphs in giving us victory. In Galatians, he is the liberator, the one who sets us free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy and the king that every knee will bow before. In Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our hope. And First Timothy is our faith. And Second Timothy is our stability. And Titus, he is our truth. And Philemon, he's our benefactor. In Hebrews, he's the perfect sacrifice and the great high priest. In James, he is the substance of our faith. In First Peter, he is our inheritance. And in Second Peter, he is our purity. In First John, he is our life. In Second John, he is our pattern. In Third John, he is our motivation. And in Jude, he is the foundation of our faith. And in Revelation, he is our soon coming king. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of, of all. He always was, always is, and always will be. He is unmoved, unchanged, unchallenged, and undefeated. That is King Jesus. And every page of scripture points us to him. It is all about Jesus why do we become men and women of the word? Because we are men and women who've been redeemed by Jesus and this is his word and therefore we abide in him by abiding in his word because in every page of the scripture we discover him. The most liberating thing you could hear this morning is the Bible isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And you will never discover you 
without discovering him. So we walk in it. We live in it. We abide in it. I pray we become people of the world. I believe revival will come if we we immerse ourselves in this book. I'm going to do something this morning. I've asked Pastor Zeke to sing a song over us as a way of giving us an opportunity to meditate on what we've heard. To soak for a moment in the slow rain of a mighty God who speaks to his people. And wrestle in your heart two questions. One, do you know the Jesus of this book in a way that he's transformed your life and has rescued you from your sin? If not, you can know him today. Second thing I'm going to ask you, if you know him, do you delight in him? And do you meditate in his word? Father, we love you. And I pray now that you would just speak to our hearts. Help us assume the posture of those who are meditating, whether it's standing or sitting or kneeling or praying or whatever it might be. God, let us rest in you and your word, meditating on who you are.